MC Lobshire, the host of the Cash Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cash flow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Laubscher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at how to go from a rookie to a pro investor growing your real estate portfolio and cash flow and building a community along the way. I'm excited to be joined uh, by two guests in today's episode, Emily and Kirk Duplessis. They are real estate investors who focus primarily in the buy and hold niche. They bought their first rental property in 2012 shortly after they were married with little money or knowledge of the space. Emily was an English teacher who was able to leave her job to manage their rental portfolio and stay home with their three children. Kirk runs an online options trading website that focuses on education and software for options traders. Together, they have built their rental portfolio, trying various types of rental properties, multifamily, student rentals, vacation rentals, and more, and teach other newbie investors how to get started with rental property at rentalrookie.com. Are you an investor looking for passive cash flow but don't have the time to explore your options? Discover Real Estate. It's the best option for passive income that savvy investors have been turning to for years to generate income and build wealth. But the reality is real estate investing takes expertise, market knowledge, and time. So what do you do if you don't have the time or market knowledge? Discover how many business investors have found a way to generate cash flow from real estate investing. Their secret? They partner with proven private real estate investment funds. Four Peaks Capital Partners have created a system that allows accredited investors the opportunity to invest in undervalued assets to generate passive income and capital gains. Invest with the cash flow experts and sit back while Four Peaks does all the work. Call Four Peaks Capital Partners at 877-5-INCOME. That's 877-5-INCOME or go to privateincomeinvesting.com. An offer to buy or sell securities is only made by a private placement memorandum. Prospective investors must read the PPM in its entirety before making an investment decision. Emily and Kirk, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, very excited to connect with you guys. Can you share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was my background, at least, was as far away from investments and real estate as possible. I actually went to school to be an English teacher, so I hated numbers. Um, went to school, studied language, studied Spanish. Um, so I was very much into that area. Was taught as a teacher for seven years. Um, and it was during that time, I guess shortly after Kirk and I got married, that he started talking to me about this whole investment thing and 
real estate and return on investments, all these terms that I had never heard before. They all went over my head. Um, but to say the least, he finally convinced me to uh, take the plunge and agree to uh, do it five or six years ago. And I, I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah. And so my, uh, which is funny because I went to Emily originally and I was like, hey, listen, the ROI on this property. She's like, ROI, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you, I knew mean? Shakespeare and Steinbeck and yeah, <laughs> symbolism. Exactly. So uh, my, my path was a little bit different. I was, a, I guess you'd say a semi-traditional finance path. I went to school for finance. Uh, worked on Wall Street for Deutsche Bank in mergers and acquisitions, was a REIT analyst. So got to see a little bit of how real estate investment trusts at the more public level are set up and structured. Um, and then after that, I um, uh, ended up starting and started trading full-time as an options trader. I still run and am the full-time uh, head trader for Option Alpha, which is a online community and technology platform for the options market. Now, how did, so you guys started uh, to investigate this real estate thing? And uh, well, first, let me, let me rephrase that question. Um, why did you pick real estate to get into? And what were sort of the next steps as you researched uh, more about real estate and getting educated that you took? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like on my end, it was interesting because Emily's family had never been involved in, I mean, really investing. I mean, it was a my truly- dad, Yeah, my dad would invest in the stock market. Yeah, but I'm and talking so like on about the real estate Yeah, side. that's about it. That was the kind of the investing yeah. in, that I knew of. And so, uh, so, but my family, on the other hand, has always been invested in real estate. I, I jokingly say, because it's partly true that our family vacations were to open houses. So we would go to places and just walk through open houses. And I remember doing that as young as possible. And so- you know, I've always had an interest in real estate. And once we first, you know, got engaged and, you know, eventually got married, I knew that real estate had to be at least a portion of it. Now, whether that was everything that we did, you know, probably not right at, at the beginning, but I knew we had to be invested in real estate. I witnessed obviously the power of real estate investing. Uh, most people who generate wealth and are wealthy have some c- component of real estate investing as part of their portfolio. So yeah, that's how we started. And we just, you know, decided to start small and save our money and, you know, snowball it very slowly. And what I really appreciate too is the information that you've shared and you've really truly built a community uh, around it at, at Rental Rookie of, of sharing your journey and the development and the process. So uh, if you guys don't mind, uh, share a little bit about uh, the first deal that you did and how you got your feet wet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first deal, that was that was kind of a gold mine actually for it us. Was. It really was a great first deal. Um, but I will say it wasn't easy. You know, we were just married a couple of years and buying that property was pretty much most of the money that we had saved. So for me, not in an investing world, that was really, really scary. Um, and I had a really hard time coming to to terms with, why would we put all this money into a property just to make $500 a month? That doesn't make any sense to me, you know? So I had a whole mental thing that I had to get over in the beginning. Um, But we ended up buying, it was a two bedroom, two bath condo. um, And it actually was 40 minutes away from where we lived because at the time we lived in Northern Virginia outside of DC and the town that we lived in, we owned the condo that we lived in, but we couldn't afford, taxes were high and we plainly couldn't afford at the time to buy another property there. So instead of giving up, we started to look in the outskirts, you know, towns of where we lived and were able to find this condo that was about 40 minutes away. It was a HUD property. So we had to go in and do some renovations. And again, this was most of our money. So we did all of the sweat equity. I think, what did we hire out? We hired uh, out tile. a plumber and we did try to do tile and then 
It was a disaster. We quickly realized we didn't <laughs> want to do that. So we had someone come in for that, but we did everything else. Um, and so we were able to, you know, force that appreciation. We bought it below market value. And, you know, we took us, I think, two months to renovate it on the weekends and at night because we were working full time. So we couldn't really, you know, dedicate that much time to it. Quickly got it rented. And then, you know, because we were able to force that appreciation, six months later, we did a cash out refinance. We were able to get a good portion of our initial investment back. And then that kind of started the, the journey of wanting to do it again. Yep. Yeah, I think once you get that first one on, under the belt and you, you see it, it's like, ooh, this is good. How do, where do we find the next one? How, would he, how do we keep doing this over and over, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, you know, it's always been a process of, and this is what we try to, at least I, I wouldn't say like coach or anything, cause we're not coaching people directly, but more like sharing our story and kind of helping out with other people who are getting started is that it is very much a, a very slow process at first because you have to save the money. You have to find the deal. It takes a little bit of time to generate the cash flow, and, you know, for the property to, to appreciate in price. But after that, once you start getting the snowball made, I mean, it, it starts building on top of itself. And, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but we ran numbers a little while ago. And, you know, we really haven't invested that much in the real estate. But what we have done really well is we've just recycled capital over and over again. So the same, you know, $20,000 we might have put into one property, we were able to generate cash flow and then take that money and, you know, buy another one. And it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And I think at, you know, at Rental Rookie, we have kind of a motto, like it just takes one property. Like if you can just get that first property and, and, you know, break down that barrier of entry of a down payment and all the things that you have to learn and, and get the confidence that you need to be able to do at once. I mean, it really is a process that you can rinse and repeat and do over and over again. So it's really all about getting that first one. It's amazing how it is, you know, in, in all areas of our lives, right? When you get out of your comfort zone and you take action and all of a sudden you're in a, you're in a space of insecurity, uncertainty, you're uncomfortable, and then you accomplish something, all of a sudden now it becomes the new norm, right? Uh, so it's amazing just uh, the big difference of what it, what, it, what it makes just to take that first step. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's scary. You know, we talk to a lot of people and it's a scary first step, but man, it is rewarding once you do it. What are some of the things that you've done to, because you guys have kept growing and kept increasing, what are some of the, the things that you would share on your journey looking back right now that you've done consistently uh, to produce and keep producing results for you? You know, I think one of the things that I, and I'll jump in here and take this, because I think one of the things that we do very well still is that we're really disciplined about what we do. And so there's been times where we've had, let's say, excess cash sitting in the bank, right? Kind of waiting to deploy capital. And, you know, coming from my background, like I'm huge on the numbers. I, I mean, I really geek out on finance and, you know, investor psychology. I mean, all this stuff that goes into investing in general. And so I'm a big proponent of, you know, really not pulling the trigger unless it's an amazing deal. So that means that oftentimes we've gone through, I wouldn't say it's a rut, but we've offered on a lot of properties and just haven't gotten anything. And we're pretty disciplined in that we're not going to take a deal as, as amazing as it looks or as great as the location is. If the numbers ultimately don't work out and it's going to be a loser, there's no point in doing it. And so I think that's been one of the the keys really to our success because a lot of the deals that we look at, you know, people will look at our portfolio that we publish on Rental Rookie and they'll look at it and be like, I'm not finding any of these deals. And, you know, we tell people all the time, you know, it took a lot of 
sifting and filtering to get to those. You know, those were the ones that we had to kind of find the needle in the haystack to some degree, but it's worth it because then it helps you build momentum and start acquiring at a much faster pace. Um, have you guys stayed in the same asset class or same type of properties or you've progressed into other spaces and, and, and share a little bit about the process, uh, how you did that and some of the reasons why? Yeah. So, well, initially we started in small condos because that's frankly what we could afford at that time. Um, and then eventually we started to move into townhouses and regular houses. Uh, we've just started in the last couple of years uh, doing vacation rental properties, also doing student rental properties that have been good. Um, and then we've also started flipping properties. And so, you know, as we, <laughs> yeah, so we've done a little bit of everything, which, you know, to us, it's just, uh, you know, like, what can we do with a deal? And and the easy answer is not always just rent it out, right? It might be to turn into a vacation rental or to turn into a student rental. So for us, we have done a little bit of everything. As we start growing now, we have to actually, niche down. you know, kind of niche down. And, yeah. you know, we've dabbled in, uh, I think, a little bit of everything now that we can you know, confidently say we might want to go back into like one single area, you know, and start doing more of the multifamily um, and start scaling from there. But I think it's actually been a really good learning experience for us to understand how different types of, you know, real estate investments work out. We've also just started doing our first syndication deal where we're actually just acting as pure investors, right? Which is something that we want to do as well. And so we're a partner in a syndication deal in Arizona that's, I think, 189 units. Uh, so that's been really interesting to kind of see that unfold. And yeah. Yeah, I think that. And I talk a lot about this, you know, with some of the people in our community about, you know, I think like Kirk said, when it gets to the point of wanting to grow and scale, it's really helpful to niche down. But every different type of property has its own kind of innuendos that you have to kind of learn about. So while one person might absolutely hate investing in student rentals, you know, another person might really like it, you know. And so I think if you dabble a little bit in the different types of properties and really figure out which one works for you early on, then that really allows you to kind of learn the systems and the process and really niche down then from there to grow. What are some of the things that you guys uh, found a little bit, um, how do I say, surprising? What were some of the things that surprised you about student rentals and vacation <laughs> rentals? And what, what are some of the things that kind of played out that you expected? And what, is, what are some of the lessons learned? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the student rentals are truly uh, like yin and yang. Like you have great students and then you have students who are terrible. And so uh, the first student rental property that we had, we acquired tenants, right? So we bought it kind of mid-year. The leases were already assigned. The kids were already in there. Um, but they just, I mean, honestly, they just like trashed the place. And the cops were called every other weekend. I mean, it was a disaster. There was drug <laughs> issues. I mean, it was, it was truly a disaster. Yeah. And we had to go in and basically renovate the entire thing. Now, since then, and that's two and a half years ago, we've had a great group of girls in there that literally take care of the place like it's home and argue about cleaning amongst each other. Um, so you, you truly have the yin and the yang. The ultimate story though with student rentals, at least the way that we do them, is that they are insanely profitable. I mean, yeah, even after all of are. the issues and the repairs and the babysitting of kids these days, um, they are really, really profitable. Yeah, and I think that is usually what the draw is. You know, if you do live in a town, a university town, where you're able to, um, you know, use that as a property type and feel comfortable with it, 
it's definitely a place where you can go and you're going to profit more with a student rental than you would renting to just a regular family. You'll be able to charge more. So, you know, it definitely comes with its headaches for sure. Um, But we've learned over, I think we're starting to get even into more of a system with them and just like paperwork with students and parents and systems like, you know, when they leave for winter break or summer break, having, you know, things like shutdown lists and those sorts of things just to make sure. Because they're, you know, I think the surprising thing I would say is we expected 18, 19, 20-year-olds maybe to be a little more responsible or maybe, what's the word? I just think we were more responsible. Maybe, I mean, or maybe we weren't. I don't know. Some of the calls that we get are a little crazy that you'd think, like, you're 20 years old. You should know that, but maybe not. Yeah. So that was surprising. Yeah. On the vacation rental side, um, that's actually been really good. I mean, I think the vacation rental side, because it is more turnover on a more consistent basis, I think partnering with the right property management company is everything. Yeah. And And that was a big thing for us is just finding the right you know, property management company to take over the property. But frankly, it's been a great experience and we want to get more of those as well. And so, I don't know, we're kind of, we're, we like a lot of what we do. We just can't do it all. And that's where, you know, economies of scale eventually have to start kicking in and we have to start, you know, maybe hiring people to do a lot of this stuff and managing the portfolio. And that, that can't be, you know, doing 10 things at once. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. If you um, have a team of property managers in different areas and different, uh, you know, with with different uh, uh, properties managing this for you, and then you just kind of centrally uh, uh, review or over uh, provide oversight over the portfolio. No, we actually still do quite a bit ourselves. Our vacation rental, obviously, that is run completely through a property management company. And then we have properties out of state. Like I said, we started investing in Virginia, and now we live in Pennsylvania. So we still have some properties there. Um, And we pretty much, I would say we kind of half manage those. We have a real estate agent who's a good friend of ours who kind of helps out as well. Um, My in-laws, Kirk's parents don't live too far from there. So if there's ever an emergency per se, like we're able to call his dad and he can take care of it. But honestly, those properties have been super easy. They're great properties. We've had great tenants. So we haven't really had to do much on that sense. And the properties that are close to us, I mean, we still self-manage those, but we're getting to a point now that I think with three kids and all of these properties and other things that we're doing, it's going to be about time to uh, bring somebody else into the team. You know what I always think about property management, I've got, I, w- I wouldn't say a pessimistic view of property managers, but in many respects, what a property manager does is collect rent and then they end up just basically dealing with issues. But what we have found and what we try to tell people is just build a list before you go into a community of contractors and painters and plumbers and HVAC, have that list of people available so that if you get a call from a tenant, act like a property manager and just call and get somebody in there because that's all they would do anyway. And our realtors and all of these, you know, we have property in Virginia and Maryland and Pennsylvania all the realtors that we deal with, they do the screening for tenants. They, you know, list the property and they, you know, get a, that first month rent. And we're okay with that. That to me is more efficient because it's basically like setting up a property management structure without having to pay somebody for the five years that somebody's in there and never right. has an issue. You're listening to Emily and Kirk Duplessis on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back afterward from our sponsors. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic 
market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies will not only disrupt money, but every industry on the planet. These new innovations and technologies will affect every area of your life in the future. The cryptocurrency course teaches you everything that you need to know about getting started and profiting with cryptocurrencies and includes expert training from the top crypto experts in the world. You'll learn how to buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies, how to safely store your crypto, how to become a sound investor, even if you're just a beginner, and how to apply blockchain technology to your business. You can watch a free crypto masterclass and grab the crypto course at cashflowninja.com forward slash crypto course. You're listening to Emily and Kirk Duplessis, and now back to our interview. Is there a checklist after all of your experiences with condos, with single family, townhouses, vacation rentals, and all these other projects, multifamily, student, uh, um, student housing? Is there sort of a centralized checklist that you guys have created along the way of lessons that you've learned that you now utilize to uh, make decisions from? I don't know if it's the things that we've learned necessarily, but it's a lot of things that we've learned over time to to check and look at. You know, things like uh, zoning is a big issue. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with student rentals, and, and can they, even and be vacation rentals. in vacation rentals. You know, a lot of people are looking at doing Airbnbs, but there's you know a lot of municipalities and towns that are actually zoning them out of different areas. So, you know, double checking zoning, uh, asking but verifying all the utilities. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. We've had somebody send over the utilities and the taxes and all of the stuff and, you know, blackout or, you know, cross out some areas just to see that when we actually get the real bills from the, you know, electric company or utility company, it's double or triple what they said they paid, right? And they're all always shocked that it was actually higher than what they thought they were paying. You know, like something magical happened and they they paid less than what they actually needed to. So, you know, it's, I think it's just honestly the basics. It's double checking all that stuff, mm-hmm. being realistic about what you think you can get for rent and how much expenses are going to be um, you know, not really kind of fitting the numbers to suit you, but actually looking at the deal as it stands. As a power couple, you guys have had a lot of fun and uh, enjoyed a lot of success as real estate investors. Uh, for some of my listeners out there listening that's, uh, that's doing this with their spouse, what, what has been some of the secret to your success? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was really figuring out what we were good at and then really allowing each other to kind of run with that and not necessarily overstepping. So, you know, we kind of have a process in the way that we go about our real estate investing. You know, I'm really the one who's constantly looking, scanning, finding deals, running numbers, reaching out to agents. Um, That's kind of my job. Um, And I'll, you know, set up showings and, and those sorts of things. Once we kind of get to the making the offer or, and then, 
you know, getting a ratified contract, Kirk kind of takes over that point because he actually used to be a mortgage lender. So if we're using leverage and financing, you know, he knows that industry inside and out. And so it's easy for him to kind of take that over. He gets us to closing and then I kind of take over then the management side. So we have just kind of figured out over the last four or five years what areas we're good at and we kind of just have our roles and that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's really, truly that simple. Emily does all the finding and looking for the properties. I get them under contract and get them closed and, you know, basically move them into our portfolio and do all the legal stuff that we need to do. Then she manages the rental, posts the listing if we need to do it, contacts the contractors or real estate agents. And then I do all the bookkeeping and kind of managing of cash flow and checks that come in. So, I mean, it's, it's having those defined roles and just choosing who's going to do what that actually makes it very, very easy. I don't feel like it's actually a burden to do it because we play off each other's strengths. And then obviously communication, right? You have defined roles and then communicating with each other, which is one, one thing that I picked up just spending a little bit of time with you guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I wouldn't say it's like totally roses and (laughs) (laughs) what are you talking about? It's always, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Exactly. exactly. I mean, no, I mean, for sure we have, we definitely have (laughs) communication lapses. Right. But I mean, ultimately it's, it's actually not that bad. I think being overly, you know, communicative, I don't know. Is that even a word? Uh, I'm just making up words now. Like just being like really open with each other about what's going on and you know, how deals are structured and you know, making sure that both parties are, are into it. I think that's really key. I mean, we've never invested in something where it was one person, person pushing the other, you know, it was something that we definitely agreed on. We were both on board and I think it has to be that way. If one person's kind of leading everything, it's not going to work because something's going to come up. Now, one habit uh, I've observed from uh, successful people and wealthy people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what new skill sets are you currently learning? So, you know, for me, well, I can tell you, it depends on the business that we're talking about, but, you know, because what we do, like what I do mainly during the day is, is running Option Alpha and kind of managing that team, which we were actually just fortunate enough to be included in the Inc. 500 as, you know, some of the fastest growing companies in the, in the country. And so for me right now, our focus is on, you know, new uh, automation technology in the options trading space, which is revolutionary. So that's really my focus. So I'm trying to figure out on the real estate side, how do we do more in real estate without, without actually requiring a lot of my time, which is why we've started to do a little bit more syndication, why we're going to start doing a little bit more of the opportunity fund type investing so that we can start more passively doing what we do best in real estate. Yeah. And I'm really focusing and actually I'm just finishing up building a course for scaling um, and growth for real estate investors. So I've been really kind of studying that and looking back on our journey and trying to figure out how we were able to grow and scale and then look ahead, you know, where we want to go and how we're going to get there. So that's definitely the area that, that I've been focusing on lately. Yep. Um, can you share a little bit more about the community at Rental Rookie um, and just some of the value that you provide? Because there's a lot of people raving about all the stuff that uh, that you guys are doing there. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know a community that is. I actually started it for people who were just getting started. Hence the name Rental Rookie. Um, but we have a community of you know newbie investors, also seasoned investors, um, and we're really all about teaching 
the process, I think is really what it is. Because sometimes, you know, people who are just getting started, they don't know where to start. They don't feel like they have enough money or they don't feel like they have enough time to learn everything. I know, like I learned everything all through just research and obviously trial and error. So, you know, I, one of my goals was to show people like, you don't have to be a real estate agent. You don't have to be a finance person. Like anybody can do this. If you're motivated, if you're going to take action and you, you know, spend your time learning it the right way and learn that it really is a process. So, you know, that's really what we're all about. We're about inspiring and just sharing our story and our journey of, you know, how we've done it. Now we have three, I mean, we've done this now with kids. We have three kids, like we're crazy busy. So we're like, you know, many families out there right now who feel like they are overwhelmed and don't have time, but there really is time. And so the community is really just a place for people to come together. We have trainings and courses where we teach people on the various aspects of investing in rental property, all really just to, you know, help and share and let people know you can do it too. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, I, I truly look at the community and this is any community, honestly, online and whatever the topic is or the niche is, is that the community should be the net. And what I mean by that is that it should help and support people when they might trip and stumble and fall, right? And so I've used our community to ask questions and get immediate feedback. And what I try to tell people all the time is that having a community like that at your fingertips is so valuable because you don't know when a $5,000 question might come up, but truly one post in the community, one response from one other person could save you thousands of dollars, right? And so we've had instances where I just had, you know, a, a stupid, you know, contract question and I ask somebody and I get a response that could have been a huge liability for me, you know, in the future. Right. Um, so I think that's the value that I see. And I know that a lot of people use it for that as well. It's just, you know, kind of posting and double checking to make sure that their thought process is right. Because why would we be all so ignorant to think that we know everything there is to know about investing? Right. And so to me, it's a, a crowdsourced intelligence type of environment that we can learn from each other. Absolutely. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? So I, I kind of like dovetailed these a little bit towards the money side because I, you know, that's what I kind of think about. And these are things that I've learned in my investing, not only just doing trading and investing in real estate, but also just researching a, a lot of different, you know, avenues. I mean, I read a ton on investing. I, I'm a very much a student of the game in general. So I think there's three things that I would say if I could leave them, you know, to pass on whatever we have. The first would be is reduction of basis or cost. And so one of the most interesting things you find as a common thread among many investing, you know, uh, disciplines, not only the stock market, but also real estate is that there's a huge correlation just simply between the price at which you buy something and the price at which you sell it, which is just a fancy way of saying when you buy things cheaper, you end up making more money, right? So if you buy things at the top of a market, you're less likely to make money than if you buy things at the bottom of a market. It's just a very simple concept, but it's really, really important. So my thought is how can we always reduce cost? Can we rent out an extra room? Can we lease out the back half of the property? Can we take an unused garage and rent that out as a storage unit? How can we generate income to reduce the cost of ownership of this property? The second thing would be avoiding taxes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, when you're in the investing game and, you know, and, and thinking of passing things down and whether that's money or these principles, I mean, there are 
it's a taxes eat into, and I realize we have to pay them and we have to help and it's all a societal thing, but, you know, figuring out the best way that you can set everything up so that you don't give away all of your money. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that taxes end up being such a huge burden that people just really don't take advantage of, Uh, you know, like in both respects, I mean, depreciation is a huge advantage for real estate investors, interest deduction, huge advantage, you know, but if we can figure out a way to avoid taxes altogether, we've done a couple 1031 exchanges, you know, you can invest in your IRA, you there's uh, these new opportunity zones, which are huge opportunities right now, you know, after the new tax law is passed in December of 2017, where you can invest in these areas and have literally tax free gains after 10 years. I mean, that's it. That's an insane opportunity to basically not pay any taxes on your real estate investment property. So a lot of those things I think could go into it. And then the third thing for me is income instability. So, you know, I see people all the time and, and I definitely see this in the option space where people are like, I call them rodeo cowboys because they just like jump on the bowl and they just go crazy, but they last about eight seconds and then they're off, right? And they get knocked off. But the importance of having stability and frankly, just not losing money is so much more valuable than any major upside potential that has an insane amount of risk. So what I've told people all the time and is factually true is that 10, saving 10% extra and making just a 6% return, which doesn't sound like a lot and is really not, actually outperforms the market dramatically because you keep funding your investments, right? And so it's just the age old adage of, you know, living below your means and saving the difference and investing that difference. That goes so much further than people trying to, you know, reach for these astronomical returns with an insane amount of risk. Yeah, it, you make so many good and great points, and it, it it's so true. If you look at um, just what some of the wealthiest families are doing, it's all about efficiency of their savings, efficiency for asset positioning, and then efficient income because it all ties into the tax game, which yeah. truly is a, it is a game, and it is the number one wealth destroyer that's out there. So if you don't <laughs> have a plan for it or a strategy. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be very, very hard if you're trying to get in a boat and row across, you know, a pond to the other side, but it's filled with holes constantly, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I often, I often think about like money as like little kids that just want to run away from you. Like, you know, like they, like your money does not necessarily want to stay with you. Money is always looking for, you know, another avenue. And so you've got to truly protect your money and, you know, build barriers around it to keep it, you know, reducing basis, avoiding taxes, you know, protecting from huge systemic risk in the market. I mean, you've got to physically be an active participant in managing your money like you would manage a kid. Right. And one of the the, the things that I've seen firsthand too with with friends and colleagues that operate in the, the family office space, for instance, is that they're so focused on efficiency tax-wise, to tie to another point that you made, because they know that over time, for instance, if they reduce their tax liability by 20% over the course of the next 30 to 40 years and over the course of, you know, one to two to three generations down the line, there's no return in the market they can possibly get that that's going to be exactly produce, produce the same results. Exactly. Yeah. I tell people this all the time, you know, like everyone's looking for a huge return and probably the biggest return that they could get is maybe canceling a couple cable bills so they can save some money. I mean, it's, you know, it's those little things that actually we don't think about as investors generally that actually make huge differences, taxes, savings, reducing expenses, all of those things make so much more of an impact on our long-term wealth building than, you know, any return that we could get in the market. 
Guys, how can my listeners learn more about you, stay involved of all the projects that you're involved uh, with, and where can they follow you? Yeah, I mean, if they're you know interested in learning more about getting started with investing in real estate, they can go to rentalrookie.com and and we've got tons of stuff there. You can join our Facebook community. We also have a podcast, the Rental Rookie Podcast. Um, so if you want to tune in, that's where Kirk and I you know get on weekly and and share our story. We have people come on um, and share their story as well, so you can learn about us there. Emily and Kirk, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Yeah, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.